Do you have a tattoo you no longer love? Maybe the design isn't great or the quality of the tattoo has degraded. Well, don't feel shame. Reclaim. Contact Tattoo Zoo about your tired or poorly applied tattoos. We can cover them up with a fresh design or fix your faded tattoo to make it look brand spanking new. Due to COVID restrictions, our shop is only accessible if you have an appointment. So we ask that you contact us at info at tattoozoo.net. And if you feel comfortable, please include a photo of the tattoo that you would like to fix up. Then our amazing receptionist, Sarah, will take it from there. Tattoo Zoo is located at 826 Fort Street in the heart of downtown Victoria, B.C. But due to temporary COVID restrictions, we are not tattooing anyone from the mainland. So if you live anywhere but Vancouver Island, I'm afraid you are shit out of luck. Tattoo Zoo, putting the ooh in tattoo since 1994. Tattoo Zoo, putting the ooh in tattoo since 1994. Tattoo Zoo, putting the ooh. No. <laughs> Do I have seaweed in my teeth? No, ma'am. Doesn't matter because we're on the radio. I think I got to do jumping jacks. Do you feel tight in the chest? I don't. I feel pretty excited to just get into it. Okay, just let me do 10 jumping jacks. (laughs) I've lost track of That's, That's like 15. I'm so out of breath. <laughs> Are we going to go? Are we going? Let me just... Hello. Hello. Hi. Welcome back to Meet the Kramers. Don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave us a five-star review on your podcast app. It helps us with visibility in the algorithms. We appreciate the support. So, last episode was a doozy. Stop. Don't say so. That's my thing. Oh, I thought it was a thing you wanted to fix. (laughs) It is, but I think I'm going to make t-shirts. Okay. So, last episode was a doozy, and I hope it wasn't too much for all you tender-hearted listeners. I want you to know that I'm okay, and I hope you are too. It wasn't an easy episode to record, and I'm the one who's also doing all the editing, so I had to listen to myself tell that story over and over and over again while I put it together. But it was also kind of cathartic to hear my voice tell this story. And weirdly, I've actually lost more sleep and stressed out more about doing today's episode because the assault was just something that happened to me. I didn't really have anything to do with it. It was just random, but my reaction to when Jerry came to me and said that she was trans. Well, that was a choice that I made. And the other day I was really beating myself up as we were preparing these episodes. And Jerry said wisely to me, you can't judge 1996, Sarah, with the wisdom of 2021, Sarah. And it really gave me permission to just let go of the tension that I was carrying around. So thank you, sweet baby. Okay, but before we dig into this next episode, we want to let you know that these first few episodes are kind of just an overview to get you caught up on how we got to where we are today. And we want to encourage you to send us a DM on Instagram or email at info at meetthekramers.net if there's a topic you want us to talk a little bit more about or if you have questions about something we didn't dig deep enough into. 
we did get a few emails that we want to chat about before we start the episode. Our first major complaint that we got from listeners is that there's not enough Walter. Um, Walter is our four-pound chihuahua. He can't really join the conversation, but maybe he can. Hang on one sec. Speak. Oh, speak. Good one. A few of you wanted to know how we both ended up in Victoria, and we totally forgot to tell you that part of our story. I moved to the island for the first time when I was five years old. My parents brought me over because my dad was an auto parts salesman, and he did a lot of deliveries to logging camps in the North Island. We lived in Nanaimo for about a year. My mom, I think, didn't love it because she didn't have any friends or support here. Her family was lived on the mainland. But after a year, we moved back, and my mom told me that I had said, as soon as I'm old enough, I'm moving back to the island. And so when I turned 17 and it was time to pick a university, I picked UVic. That's the only school I applied to. It's the only school I wanted to go to. I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't got in. And I moved here in September of 1990, and I started attending school. I made it two months in before I decided that university was not for me. I can't remember precisely what I disliked about it, but I cannot remember that I liked anything. So... (laughs) I just decided to stay in Victoria and not move home because I really loved being here, but I did not like school. And that's it. I left Regina because I needed to get out of Dodge. I had a situation with a stalker ex-boyfriend and I felt like I was in danger. And so I needed to put some miles between us. And I originally was going to move to Vancouver, but I went to visit Vancouver Island to see my Auntie Bonnie and her family. And it was my first time visiting Victoria as an adult. Um, We'd been here a lot. I'd come to visit a lot as a kid uh, because a lot of my family lives in B.C. We walked around downtown and I remember feeling this was exactly where I needed to be. Uh, I was really enchanted with... Victoria and smitten with the island. So I went back to Regina, got a train ticket, packed my bags, and I moved out here in 88 or 89. I don't uh, I don't even know anymore. But it is one of the first times at like 18 or 19 years old that I remember trusting my gut feeling and going for it. I just don't, I don't want too many people to know how great it is here because... I feel like they already know. I don't want anyone else to move here. <laughs> the island is so special. And then we also got a couple letters uh, from listeners who wanted me to know that I misgendered Jerry when I was talking about her when we first met. And it's true. It is a bit of a thought exercise when people in your life start using a different gender pronoun, but like anything uh, with a little practice, it doesn't take long before your brain actually starts to catch up. But, and I feel like I don't misgender you that much anymore, but I do misgender you a lot when we talk about the past. And I think it's because I have two different Jerry's in my brain. I have Jerry of the past and Jerry of my now. What do you think? I feel the same way because when we talk about, especially things that are recorded with video or pictures, when we look at them, I have a, I have a really hard time gendering myself correctly when I'm looking at a picture or even a mental picture of myself with a beard. I kind of see myself, she, her all the time, but in my head, it's split. It's bearded Jerry and not bearded Jerry. Yeah, that's how Um, I see it too. But thank you. Thank you for your input. We appreciate it. And um, please keep sending us letters. We love it. 
When we were preparing for this episode, I found a journal entry that I wrote when you came out to me at the end of 2019, and you were still struggling with your feelings about being trans. And we hadn't told a soul about it yet, except for your therapist. And just like last time when you came out to me in 96, I didn't feel like I could talk about it with anybody, but I had a lot of big feelings about it swirling around, especially because my reaction last time uh, was so bad. (laughs) And now the trans stuff was happening again and I felt all this pressure. So I started journaling about my feelings. And as I wrote it out, it kind of ended up turning into a letter to you, Jerry, but I never shared it with you. And when I was finished writing, I just kind of forgot about it. So I was cleaning my desk a few days ago and I found what I wrote and I just wanted to read like a little passage, if that's okay. Uh, This is what I wrote. I wrote, that moment in 1996 felt cruel as it came out of my mouth. And in that moment, I didn't care about your feelings. I was at the end of my tether and I was so broken. I was in such a dark place. I want to apologize to you for what I said back then. I didn't have the capacity for acceptance. I didn't have a tender heart. I had so much pain that I didn't have room for anything, including your needs. And I'm sorry for what I said and how I handled things. But today I get a second chance. How grand is that? I think that's really, I think it's really sweet. I don't think I've seen this before. I don't think you showed me. No, I didn't show, I I just, I I wrote it. I think this is like fresh off the press for me. (laughs) No, I wrote it. I saved it on my desktop. And then I forgot about it. This is a scoop. I I labeled it something on my computer. And so the other day when I was getting rid of stuff on my desktop, I was like, what's this file? And I opened it and there was this whole thing that I wrote about you coming out to me again. And it was wild to read it because it was like a little snippet, a little into the past. I think it's sweet. You're sweet. So this episode covers a lot of years. And we've had some intense conversations in the last couple of weeks trying to figure out the best way to cover it all because we're digging up old yucky sediment from the bottom of our relationship pond and we're making the water real murky. Looking back can be uncomfortable. I guess the take is that we want everybody to understand that a lot of what happened during this time was because of the era. It was the 1990s, which to us doesn't feel that long ago, but the access to the correct language and the collective understanding about transgender was not very great. I honestly don't even think trans and transgender was were being used in any way that we would have even known the words. I mean, at least for us, because maybe we weren't like as plugged in as we should have been. Yeah, I only knew about it as transsexual. I honestly, I don't really know when it changed. I missed it. Before we get into this episode... We want to start with a trigger warning. We do discuss some sexual topics as well as sexual violence, so please take care of yourself if you do decide to listen. We want to give you a brief overview of what people often call fight or flight because we thought maybe somebody like Buddy out there might not quite understand it. I feel like most people understand the term fight or flight, but there's also freeze and fawn, and I'm sure there's a bunch more. But these are the four that I wanted to touch on before we start. So fight is an anger outburst, explosive behavior or bullying, and can also include being controlling. Flight includes running or fleeing a a situation, but it can also include being an overthinker, a workaholic, can manifest as OCD, anxiety, difficulty sitting still, perfectionism. Flight is kind of where I live. 
Uh, freeze is to literally become incapable of moving, but it can also include difficulty making decisions, disassociating, isolating, feeling numb. And fawn response, which doesn't get talked about as much, involves immediately moving to try to please a person to avoid any conflict. They're people-pleasing, they put other people's needs over your own, there's a lack of identity, little to no boundaries, difficulty saying no, you become overwhelmed easily. During that time when you first came out to me, I was a combination of all of those things, and I simply just call it panic mode. I'd been living in panic mode since I was a child, and I'd been doing it for so long that it just felt normal. And in regards to when you said, I think I'm trans, that moment when I said that terrible thing to you, it wasn't the first time that you and I had talked about being trans. We'd already been experimenting sexually with cross-dressing and gender roles, and I had no issue with exploring kinks. But it was the first time that you said to me, I think I'm trans. And it wasn't, I think I like to wear ladies' clothes. It was, I think I'm trans. And I knew that trans was different than cross-dressing. I also didn't really understand it. And so I, I want to know what it was like for you when I shut down the conversation and said what I said. Like, what did you, what did you think when I said that? Um, it was hard. That was a hard thing to hear. I was being the most vulnerable in a way I had never been vulnerable with another person before. And I was so scared. I felt like something was happening to me that I couldn't control. This awakening, I guess, it really, well, it really terrified me. I, I definitely said it to you, but I also could have probably finished the sentence with, but I don't think I want to be. Right. Because I was scared. I was scared of everything. So when you said it, it was like heartbreaking and total relief because it, it gave me an out. I really wanted that out. Because I would bring it up every once in a while, every couple of years, I'd say, hey, remember that trans stuff? And you were actively downplaying it to be just, oh, no, it's just cross-dressing. It's just cross-dressing. Which I would do for, for like small windows of time. Get really intense into it for a little while, stop for a long while. And I think when I could say, oh, it's just a kink, it really let me explore it how I wanted to privately. Right. But also it allowed me the, it's not freedom, it's the opposite of freedom, I guess. It's the prison to keep it in a box, keep it in a box high up on the back of the closet shelf. And and, also, and kind of keep control of it a little bit. Yeah. And just think about it when I felt safe thinking about it and then put it away when it wasn't. When you said I'm trans, I remember, I don't think it was the, the when you said that, I don't think it was that conversation, but it was one that happened after. And I remember saying to you, like, how's it going to work? How are you going to have a job? What would our lives be like? How are you going to dress? Because I was so focused on, on the outside stuff, I guess. When you asked me all those questions, I had no idea. And that's why I was so scared. But the but I think the important thing about all that stuff is that we didn't understand trans. Yeah. And so there was never a moment where you say, what are you even going to wear? And I would say, whatever I fucking want, because 
I'm a woman and I don't have to dress like I'm on Designing Women. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, because back, cause back because, then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I didn't say to you which, what I should have said, which was, I'll dress just like you because we <laughs> like the same things and we come from the same scene. Yeah. Um, but neither of us were thinking about that. I, I honestly think that the narrative that I was stuck on was the quote-unquote man in a dress. Yeah. And, well, I guess it took me... 25 years to figure that shit out. So what, so what do you mean when you say man in a dress? Like what, like, cause that's like a a transphobic thing, narrative that you had running through your brain. right? Right. That's always been there. Yeah. So what is it? It's just a transphobic trope when we, and when we were younger in our twenties and maybe someone had said it, we should, I should look this up. I should know the history of my people, but no one had ever, I had never heard trans women are women. Right. I didn't know. And when when we talk about how things were when we were younger, it's no wonder that it was such a struggle for me in, the, in my 20s because I didn't know any trans people. I knew nothing about it. So I was in that um, weekly therapy group at the time after my assault. And uh, while the group wasn't really helping with my... PTSD from the assault, it did give me better communication tools. Um, I was learning a whole new language, actually. I was learning how to speak with I statements instead of accusatory you statements. And most importantly, I was learning to listen to somebody completely and not react to what they're saying without hearing everything that they were saying. Although I still do need to do some work (laughs) on that, I will admit. But I never talked to the group about my assault and I definitely never talked about sex with them because I was so embarrassed to tell anybody how difficult having sex was for me. And again, looking back, um, I really needed to speak to someone who had more knowledge and experience working with someone who had uh, experienced sexual violence. One of the things that I did learn in that group was that a lot of relationships don't last when there's been a sexual assault outside of the relationship. So it was something that you and I talked about a lot. Like we didn't, we didn't want to lose each other no matter what the obstacle was. So we didn't keep anything from each other. We talked about our feelings a lot. Um, but you did keep your true trans feelings from me, right? Like you, you must have felt so burned by my reaction to when you told me. Yes. Yes and no. What I did do with with those feelings is I put them in a little box and downplayed it to myself and just pretended like it didn't really matter. The big takeaway is that, you know, I was selling you this, oh, don't worry, you're right. I'm not going to do this. I'm not trans. It's just a kink. Uh, It's just a kink. I totally bought it. I believed it myself because I was so afraid to do anything about it. Yeah. And your people, like your culture... You put things in boxes and hide them away. Yes. I was raised very English Anglican. My family is like capital W white. And (laughs) I think the thing that we do best as Anglicans is take things that are uncomfortable and put them in a box and never think about them again forever. That's it. That's it. We had decided at some point during our many conversations that you were leaning female because it was easier for me to access sexual intimacy if you had more of a femme energy because of what had happened to me with the assault, which sounds 
super dumb because it's so obvious that you're a trans woman. But I'm wondering, like, did we make that up? Or well, yeah, you, we definitely made no, but, it up. Or, no, I mean, I know we made it up, but like, did you come up with it? Or did I come up with it? Or uh, like, how, like, where did it come from? I feel like you floated it and I ran with it. I don't think I would have come up with anything that shone any sort of positive light on anything femme about me. Right. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I think, I feel like we came up with it around the time that you had started going to therapy because your stupid therapist had come up with this thing called puppy touches. And I feel like that was part of it was just like gentle puppy touches. Yeah. A more like, like gentle. Like a softer approach. Softer approach. Yeah. So I know that I got frustrated with you for whatever reason at some point, And I told you to go to therapy and figure it out. Do you remember what I was frustrated by or like why? I um, I actually don't think you told me to go to therapy. Oh, I think I thought I said figure it out. I think you said figure it out, but I, I don't think you <laughs> told me how to. Got it. I think you kind of were like, you have to figure this out and you are on your own because I don't have no the capacity you. for this. I found that therapist through our GP because I went to our GP and said, I think I'm a woman. Oh, yeah. And he said, which was really hard to do. I just went in there and I forgot about said that. It. So I think it's the bravest thing I've ever done. <laughs> what did he say? He immediately asked me if I should be on hormones. And I said, oh, gosh, slow down, please. <laughs> I probably should talk to somebody. And so he set me up with the therapist who, to my 20-year-old body, uh, looked ancient. I thought he must have been 100 years old. He was so old. <laughs> he was probably 50. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you tell the old therapist man that you were trans? No. I think I used up all of my bravery with Dr. Ballard. I don't think I had it in me to tell another strange man. So what did you, t what you told him you were there because of me? I just think I assumed that he knew why I was there. Like I had to get a, I got a referral. Do you know what kind of doctor he was? I don't. I think he might've been a sex therapist. Oh, because you only saw him twice, right? Uh, I don't know, twice, two, three, four times, maybe. What, what did you talk about? We talked about, I talked about sex with you because we were in such a bad place with that. So I thought that was kind of part of the trans stuff. And then we talked a lot about my feelings, about uh, all of the friends in my past who had, I guess, hurt me. There was a, there was a lot. I feel like there was a lot of me sitting across from this old man, trying to explain to him what hardcore means to me or what punk rock is and he's just like you're you like the same music as your friends i get it and it would just be <laughs> no like it's a it's a, inside it's a burning we're different and that's the one thing i remember the most was really trying to teach him i guess about hardcore and straight edge which is exhausting that's yeah. not why you're there that's no. not what you're paying for no but we got ours he had this like nineteen sixties oh, yeah. fiberglass uh, modular sofa that was so beautiful. It was like orange and yellow. 
I knew right away as soon as I saw it that it was worth money. And so I said to the receptionist, hey, do you are you ever going to replace your furniture? Because I would love to buy this sofa off you. And she's like, no, I don't think so. And then a couple of days later, she called me and she's like, yeah, you can have it for like 200 bucks. I was like, sold. <laughs> so I, we brought it home and then I put it on eBay and I sold it to somebody in New York City, I think, yeah. for like, do you remember how much? 3,500. Yeah. But- I'm, I'm crafty. Yeah. Yeah, she is. <laughs> How long did we have that for? The sofa, we had it for like uh, a couple months, but the cats were just ruining it because it was a wool uh, fiber right. sofa. And right. the cats just like made these little nests yeah. with their fur. And I was like, we have to get rid of this and try and sell it. But it was like a brand name. It had it had the tags yeah, on it. It was Danish something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's in an art gallery in New York now. Yeah. Hey, if you're listening... Send me a picture of the sofa. I want to see it again. Yeah, so can you talk to me a little bit about the puppy touches and what he said about it? Because at the time, <laughs> at the time, it made me so mad. It still does. It still makes me mad. <laughs> he... Hang on, I got to take my sweatshirt off. I'm sweating because we're talking about sexy stuff. I mean, puppy touches are not sexy, but... Neither is this old man. <laughs> I guess I'm all hot because of that sofa. It was so great. There you go. I think because we were talking so much about sex and why, how we weren't having sex and how difficult it was for us to be intimate, he'd suggested that I touch you very lightly, not like a, not like a man. Um, he called them puppy touches. I think now that he was talking about sensate focus, which is kind of like what he was saying, but I don't know. The way I feel like the way he described it, there was just no like. There's no structure. It was just like because expelling sensate focus because it's something that we're working on. It's something that uh, your therapist today, your awesome therapist now, um, gave you as homework. And I, I don't feel like I'm like the best person to talk about it, but we can look it up. Sensate focus is a sex therapy technique introduced by Masters and Johnson, and it works by refocusing their participants on their own sensory perceptions and sensuality instead of goal-oriented behavior focused on genitals and penetration. So it's just about getting touch in touch with your body again without the pressure Yes. Of fucking. But being aware of your part of it instead of spending the whole time touching you, worrying if you are liking this. Or being triggered or whatever. Just doing the things that I am liking that feel good to me. And then I'm responsible for my own feelings about all of that. Yeah, which I think is a very complex system to just boil down to puppy touches. (laughs) But I feel like that's where he was going. We're going to talk about sex now. (laughs) I feel so awkward. Uh, what, like when we first met, we were very experimental and we were pretty free sexually. But after the assault, the assault, um, sex in general was just super difficult for me. And definitely exploring was off the table because I would be triggered super easy. So um, cuddles and kissing was fine. But anything else that would trigger flashbacks, I would just like completely disassociate really easily. And I, f- I feel like as a couple... We had, there was a lot of talking and there's a lot of communicating. I never felt like we weren't close. Um, I didn't feel like we didn't have an intimate connection, but I, and, and I do really remember that you were super sweet and incredibly patient with me. 
Um, you never put any pressure on me at all. And I think that that saved us because if I had had any shame about what had happened to me or about my triggered trauma responses um, to being touched, I think it would have been devastating. I want to know what it was like for you to like be with this broken person. It was hard and it was weird because we had, up until the robbery, I felt, I mean... I felt like the it was the first year and a half that we were dating. I felt like we were always having sex. <laughs> and and then you went you went away, you experienced the event and you came back and that part was over. Like full stop. But the part about not having sex, I don't I don't know that I noticed it except when we kind of brought it up with each other. I think through the narrative through our, like, our whole relationship has been, we like having sex, but we don't have, very, se very have sex very often. And, but the, but we often both feel a lot of pressure from what or who I don't know that, like, to be this perfect couple, we should be having sex X amount of times. I did have a friend, at, like, right after the robbery say to me, you better figure it out because he's going to leave you. Because if you don't have sex with him on a regular basis, he's going to find it somewhere else. And it just like, just, it wasn't helpful advice. <laughs> it really rang, like it just like, it like bing bonged around in my head for a really long time. Right. So now when we look back, I feel like maybe it was okay because maybe uh, I don't, I don't want to act the man in a bed. Right. When I look back at my, sexual career? What do you call it? <laughs> when I look back at it. History. History, my sexual <laughs> history. It's a lot of that. It's a lot of me being with people, you know, feeling feeling good in the making out, um, feeling terrible when we're finished. A lot of the women that you had relationships with have also turned out to be queer. Yes. Which I, I think is fascinating. I uh, also, I also think that's fascinating. <laughs> Do you remember being frustrated when I would um, find my tights or my clothes stretched out because you were, or you because you were wearing them when I wasn't around, um, or also you were using my makeup without asking? And I'm, I have a thing about my makeup. I don't want to yeah. get pink eye. <laughs> and um, so we came up with this plan that you would have your dress up clothes in a drawer, and you would wear them only when I wasn't around because we were still operating under the assumption that it was a kink. And then if you did it when I wasn't around, I wouldn't feel this pressure to get into the sexy zone with you and that you could just do your thing on your own terms when I wasn't around. But when we decided to do this under these weird, strict parameters, what was it like for you? Like, did you enjoy it? Or was it like, oh God, she's gone for an hour. Let's like, what was it like? Yeah, I think that's, it's it was weird. both. It's a weird thing it's that really we decided weird. to do. These it's really weird. Yeah. Oh, I have between three and four and then I got to leave for work. So I've got 45 minutes to just like fuck around. But if I feel like it was all uh, like wrapped up in sex, there was no, there was no part of me that was doing that and then just like reading or... Just living as a woman. Living as a woman. Right. It was like, I have an hour to do some fun, real sex stuff by myself. And then gotta I go to, go work. to work. Goodbye. 
So when I look back, yeah, it was weird. I remember um, giving you lipstick, like one of my lipsticks, and sometimes I would see it like on the counter and not in your dresser or in your little box. And I would find it and I would know that you had been cross-dressing and then I would feel kind of like wobbly, like wobbly in my in my chest because we had this like, we had this great life and we were desperately in love and we were having so much fun. But then there, the lipstick or whatever it was that I would find would be this little reminder of this thing that we didn't really talk about very much. And it made me feel really lonely because I was in the closet with you. I didn't say anything to anybody because it was your business. And it was also, I had so much fear about it, about telling anybody yeah, because I didn't want it to get out because it was your private business. And I, so I didn't, I didn't tell anybody, like not even my bestie, best friend. Um, and I feel like I couldn't talk to you about it, honestly, because I knew I'd hurt you so badly and I never wanted to see that look on your face ever again. So I was in my own little weird closet as well. Yeah. And plus, we didn't want to talk about it. Like, I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to hear your take on it again. I think you wouldn't have wanted to talk about it because I I think not talking about it means it's not happening. And yeah. it's this dark secret, but otherwise... Everything's fine. Our relationship is perfect. Yeah. I felt like if we shed any light onto it, then it would come true. And then what would happen? That's that I was so yeah. panicked about it. And then we just lived our lives. Like we just like moved on. I mean, it would come up every once in a while in conversation. I would check on you and say, hey. But for the most part, we just like moved on with our lives and just started. Well, I think we both um, started to hyper fixate on being successful. So my brother had moved to Victoria when him and his wife had separated. And I wasn't working at the time. And I've been diagnosed with chronic fatigue. So I stepped in to help him with my niece and I spent my days taking care of her while he was at work. While I was also uh, working on a cookbook with my friend Tanya, we were working on the beginnings of how it all began, which was actually just a homemade zine that we made ourselves in the, in the living room. And then you were working in a restaurant and working up the corporate ladder. I had started there as like a salad, salader. I don't, I don't know what they call the, a salad expert? A salad expert. And, which was a great job for a vegan, by the way. Oh, I bet. Get the vegan doing the salad expert. And yeah, and then I worked my way up in the kitchen. And I think I started tattooing somewhere in there. I'm not sure what I was kitchening by then, but it was tattooing that propelled me to decide to leave the restaurant, which was when the restaurant said, you should work out front. And that's what led to me. Right, because they didn't want to lose you. Yeah, and then that's what led to me climbing, 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 and eventually, like, managing the bar um, before I decided. Because you were, like, a waiter, and then you were the floor manager, and then you were working as a bartender, and then you were the bar manager. Yeah. And then they had you opening different restaurants because it was a corporate thing. Yes. In different cities. Yes. You were on the fast track to being manager. Probably could have done something with it if I had wanted to, but I don't think... I wanted to move. But then you were also tattooing. Yeah, like, also tattooing, which was which I was in love with. Well, how did you start tattooing? I really fell into it. I was getting tattooed that summer after I came out to you. 
Uh, I was getting something from the guy that we were all going to see. He was complaining through the whole tattoo that his apprentices kept leaving. He was teaching all these 18-year-olds how to tattoo, and they were all leaving. I know now, because he was toxic as fuck, but (laughs) um, but back then, I I said... Well, you need to you need to take on somebody who's like an adult. Like, I work. I've been working in restaurants for five years. I've been married for a year. I'm not going anywhere. And and then he said, "I don't want to teach you how to tattoo because it will ruin our friendship." And he was right. <laughs> but I'm so thankful that he taught me anyway. <laughs> so one of the silver linings of the assault, if there is one is that it jump-started our lives, or at least my life, because I've always been a bit of a late bloomer. And I was sort of, especially with all my illnesses, like being, I just was kind of floating around. And so after the robbery, I think actually we both kind of felt like this. We wanted to kind of do something that had a bit more impact. And so I was writing this book with my friend Tanya, and it we're just a these poor punk kids and we put together zine culture was really big back then and we were put we put together this vegan cookbook zine and we gave it to everybody as Christmas presents and everybody fell in love with it so then we made more we sold a thousand of them and then I wrote a book proposal and we got a book deal like almost right away like it just it just turned into this runaway train <laughs> that I was just sort of hanging on to um, we became really successful with these cookbooks which I wasn't expecting But at the same time, I was also working at the tattoo shop because you had moved to a different tattoo shop around then. which was also... It was also Tattoo Zoo. But a different version. So I was also working there as a receptionist. And then we just sort of like floated along in the waves of opportunity. And, you know, I was... I kind of had this like weird schedule where I would like write a book, work on recipes, uh, edit the book the book would be released, then I would promote it, then I would travel, then I would come back and I would do it all again. At the same time, uh, it was taking, I feel like it was a taking a toll on me because I didn't understand that like pushing away all the bad feelings and desperately trying to replace them with new ones or running around making myself busy, it only delays the trauma. And I saw a quote actually on Twitter the other day by Maggie Vale that said, This is what she said. She said, I spent a decade trying to bury my trauma in work. Anytime a new horrible thing happened, I doubled down and it doesn't help. It doesn't go away. Eventually you have to face it and deal with it. And I feel that with all of my heart. And I also feel like it was the same thing for you. You were like digging a grave for your true feminine self and just like pushing it down under the dirt as far away as possible, just so that we could just like get on with it and get on with our lives. But in hindsight, I can see that it took a terrible toll on you. Yeah, it just took a really long time. But trauma always pops up. I guess it always will always catch up. That's how we were for like the next 14 years (laughs) or so. We were just so busy because eventually we took over Tattoo Zoo and we became business owners, which was like a dream of ours. Um, You really wanted to own the shop and it was so cool to like, make it happen. But I think we were super green about owning a business. We didn't, we never went to school. We didn't really have any experience other than your experience working at um, that restaurant and all the management training that you took there. So I guess I had a little experience. A little experience, but no, like, I don't know. I I guess I have a thing about the fact that I don't have a degree in anything. 
But when we bought the shop, we didn't anticipate how difficult it was going to be to navigate the toxic male tattoo culture that's so prevalent in the industry. And with the shop, like creating a safer space for our shop took a really long time. And we had, it probably took us like 10 years to like eventually delete all the negative, toxic, boorish behavior and the artists that come with that from the shop. But we never, uh, we never made a big deal about it. We weren't like outwardly, like we didn't talk about it on social media or we're just low key about it because you didn't want to be like that shop. But don't you feel like it was also part of you hiding your tr- your transness? Yes. I wanted to be one of the guys so bad. I wanted to be included in stuff. I wanted to be friends with everybody in tattooing. My reputation was super important to me. I would do anything to, to like keep my sort of, I guess the status of my reputation, this where it was. And I wouldn't like, I wouldn't do the right thing. A lot of the time I would just do the least waves making thing. Yeah. And I feel like we had a few, uh, quite a few people who worked for us. They worked for us a little too long than they should have. A lot too A lot based on, on what they were doing and how they were interacting. Yeah. I think it was maybe four or five years ago that we just kind of said, fuck it. And we actively started turning our shop into a safer space. Um, And suddenly we just like look around and it was just full of great queer and queer friendly people. And people Um, that we like wanted to spend time with. But I think, uh, and I kind of like this, that subconsciously we were creating a space where I could come out as a trans person and be surrounded by love and support. But... Before any of that safer space stuff happened, I got cancer. Sound engineering for this episode by Gavin Stacy. If you want to get in touch with us with constructive feedback, share a story, or just send us a love note, you can email us at info at meetthekramers.net. Tune into our next episode where I am suddenly diagnosed with breast cancer. It doesn't sound like a fun episode, but honestly, it was another intense pivot in our lives that made everything so much sweeter. Thanks for listening. See you next time.